Live from Mr. Gold's Pawn Shop, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Nick. Hi, Tim. It's been a while. It has been a while. Did you have a good Christmas? Very good Christmas. Yeah, it was a good Christmas. Then we went on our uh, manual ski trip, which was enjoyable. Awesome. Awesome. And then, oh, no, right out. So New Year's Eve, I spent with uh, 30, almost 40 youth Mm -hmm. all night. And then that next day, we drove up for a ski trip. Oh, yes. So I slept. (laughs) (laughs) You slept during the ski trip or you slept while you were skiing? We slept during going up. Going up to going the up. Yeah, then Tasha drove and I slept. And then I was basically back on track. Gotcha. Well, I had a nice holiday uh, season too. Um, probably spent more than I should have <laughs> and things. But uh, no, it was all good and merry and bright. And glad to be back with you all, folks. This is Timothy Deal. This is Nick Hayden. Uh, welcome to episode 52 of Derailed Trains of Thought. Hey, it's a, it's a new year, new episode. Episode 52, you could say it's the new 52. Oh, there we go. Uh, uh, and now you can make a goal every week to listen to a new podcast. That's right. What, well, our podcast, our, our new episode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we have one for you every week of the year, so listen to them all. And we're coming to you tonight from one of our uh, old sponsors. Yeah, if you listen to our 50th uh, anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, Well, 50th episode. 50th episode, yeah. yeah. Not 50th, we're not that old. Not yet. <laughs> But yeah, the, uh, Mr. Gold's Pawn Shop, they have everything here you could yeah, ask for. Anything that needs to be for taken price. care of. Um, for a price. Changed, cursed, listened to, transformed. Found, yeah, tracked yeah. down. They usually have something here. Yeah. Even if you left it, you know, in a previous life. They, oh, yeah, exactly. They, they usually have Different it. world, different life, whatever. Yep. Different body. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's all here, dearie. <laughs> <laughs> at, least right. that, at least that's what he tells us. Well, with that, we'll just dive into uh, the beginning of the new year. Before we get into story school, we should give you our first project update. If you've been following us on Facebook, you may have heard about our new spinoff podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Yay. We're spinning off everywhere. <laughs> spinning no. like a crazy hedgehog. <laughs> Um, our new spinoff podcast is called The Weekly Hijack. And it comes out every week and it hijacks your brain. <laughs> no. It's something we've been wanting to do for a while. You could almost say sort of a spinoff specifically of our take on Tales. But, yeah. You know, we talk about TV a lot. Well, we talk Certain about, episodes of we, certain shows a lot. We talk about, okay, we'll be honest. We talk about Lost <laughs> a lot. So Lost just seemed like the natural first fit for this. I mean, we talk about other TV too. Yeah. Once upon a time, for we'll, example, we'll, yeah, uh, which we'll maybe get someday to. Babylon Five. Yeah, that's that's in our dreams, but we'll, we'll we knew not as many people can have access to that. So right, so we figured let's start with Lost. We probably talk about that a little more than Babylon Five anyway on the yeah. podcast. And so basically, what it is is it's a rewatch. You get our immediate reactions right after we finish. Yeah, we the don't episode. plan anything. We just turn on the computer and talk. Yep, and it's much more rough than what we get here. Thankfully, we were at a point now that the podcast we have can have a clear distinction between <laughs> the professional regular one and the the rough and tumble. Uh, what what do they call it? Gorilla yeah. podcasting. Gorilla podcasting of the uh, TV reaction. Yeah. So early every week, we'll have our we'll co- it'll come out, and uh, Norman will talk about. Two Two episodes of TV, whether it be two episodes of Lost currently, but when other shows come back on, it may get moved around. And yeah, we may joke, you know, you get one of one of each basically. Yeah. It's kind of the idea. And 
Uh, hopefully, usually, because we, we record them on Sunday nights, so hopefully that you'll get them by Tuesday or Wednesday at latest. Yeah. Um, maybe even Mondays if we're, I don't know if we're, we'll be that on the ball. But <laughs> That's up to Tim. <laughs> I just talk. Yeah, but it, like I say, it's very, very kind of rough and tumble. We just record basically, and then we throw it out there. It's an excuse for you to go watch Lost again. Yeah. Probably, though, if you're watching by yourself, you might go faster than two episodes a week. <laughs> um, That's possible, yeah. You're by yourself, at least. Yeah. Or you know, maybe just wait till we get farther along and then just kind of binge watch and then binge listen. And these are short little, like, 10 minutes an episode sort of talks. Yep. Yep. So probably, well, yeah, 10 minutes per episode of the thing around. Yeah. Currently, we're like you said, we're doing two episodes at a time, so then it's about... 20 little, minutes, yeah. yeah a little, well, I haven't hit 20 yet. A little under, yeah. Try, we try to keep it a little under 20 is, is going to be the goal. Um, so, yeah, be looking forward to that. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. We, we were having fun. It's just it's just fun because we bring in the rest of the Hayden family that happens yep. to be in the living room. Whoever happens to be watching with us, they just say whatever they want if they have anything to say. We drag some stuff out of them, yeah. you know, as much as we can. <laughs> we try not to dominate the conversation too much. Too late. But uh, that's the weekly hijack. Uh, I don't know that we have much else news in terms of uh, Children of the Wells. Not th- just things that are under process. But I guess, you know, if you haven't been, um, sign up, go to the website, sign up, sign your email in. It's right there on the sidebar. Even though there, we don't have new stories, a lot of interesting blogs been coming out. I mean, I think it's been a good run of things. That's true. Yes. But definitely take a look at that because good stuff coming out. And if you haven't read, this is a good time to uh, get reading on that. And otherwise, I think that's all we have for project updatedness. So we'll move on into story school. All right, story school today. We are going to be talking about something that uh, is not a real uh, favorite in terms of uh, storytelling right now, but it's the, it's exposition. Exposition. Getting getting your uh, reader in on the know of kind of all the ins and outs of your world, or at least what's going on in the situation about your story. Getting the info across. Um, I guess my shorthand definition, just for the sake of this conversation, would be telling, not showing. Exposition. Yes, because exposition definitely has kind of a bad reputation in pop culture commentary yeah. nowadays. Like, and, no one likes info dumps, is, is what they call them. A lot. And of times. I think, and I think, in some ways, it's it's deserved. In other ways, there's a lot of things about exposition that is not just necessary, but can be kind of enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I'll just start with enjoyable. Sure yeah, let's, talk let's, about the bad. yeah, let's talk about let's talk about some of the good things because I don't think people really think about some of that well, stuff as and, much. And okay, whenever the Harry Potter books. I absolutely, and I, I can't write like this myself. I'm not very good at saying anything directly to the audience. If, if you know anything about my writing, yeah. everything's very, what? <laughs> but I loved reading Harry Potter, like the last, right before the end, like the second last chapter, third last chapter, where basically Harry would go to Dumbledore and say, what just happened? And Dumbledore would say, I will now connect the pieces of the book for you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but the thing is, it was very exciting because suddenly it's like, oh, revelation. Oh, I see how that meant. Oh, I forgot about that. I mean, it really is just a chapter of back and forth questions, basically Harry asking the sort of questions that uh-huh. you're asking. And, and and I think I'm using Harry Potter, but mysteries in general mm-hmm. tend to have this sort of, and now we will explain everything. Yeah. The the, the big uh, denouement and some mysteries is very popular where it's like the detective gathers everyone in the room and say, you did this and then you did this, but then you did this. What did this mean? And et cetera, et cetera. I hate her so much. Flames. 
on the side of my face. Okay. I, I love how often in some like detective shows, like they'll confront the guy and then he just starts spouting off a confession. You know, <laughs> it's like you have to understand why I did this. <laughs> and the thing is, it's um, yeah, you're just saying stuff. You're not. It's not reveal. You know, on TV now they'll they'll flash back. They'll show how it happened and you know be a little more, mm-hmm. you know. But just. It's very satisfying sometimes to just get the answers. Right. And just get it straight up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, exposition is the the simplest way to get, you know, information that you need kind of right off. Like I used, I remember when writing New Wells Rising, I, I needed to get a lot of info about there was a certain character who was hiding things. And once it was revealed that this character had been hiding stuff, you immediately want to know, okay, well, why were you with this organization you know this this group and then what went wrong and who are they and all this kind of stuff and you know it's just a campfire scene basically of her kind of explaining herself and explaining where this all came from and i i can see why people and we'll get into it people say oh this is you can be lazy writing or whatever but i think in many ways it just depends how much you know how much time you want to take to say certain things you know sometimes it's like and it's interesting you know writer uh, readers want I want to know things. You know, I, I, you know, I enjoy chapters where people are just asking questions and, you know, getting answers. I'm horrible at writing them, <laughs> um, but I think they're and and it's a very natural conversation. You know, if you it could be it's often connected with character moments, mm-hmm. and I think and people like character moments. Now, if it's just like okay, this is they're they're talking about this for no reason. Yeah, you know, but right. when it when there's a. a a normal person would ask these questions, and you get them in an interesting manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the exposition done, but it's it's still it's still interesting. It's still it's, good story. Yeah, it, it's an interesting if story. it's if it's because not only are you as the sweet spot is when you as the audience are asking the same questions that the character is asking, yeah. and then getting those answers. Um, Without it feeling like the uh, the author's like, I know you want to know this, therefore, you know, yeah. <laughs> to, you know, it's it's not so close that you're like he's checking it off so we can get this plot going again. It, it's right. nice when it's not just uh, well, we stop, take care of things, keep moving. Where it's very you know it's integrated, and I think most people nowadays exposition is good when it's integrated well, and you know it doesn't sound like people are saying things that they wouldn't say, you know, mm-hmm. like yes, I go here every day to some to his wife or you know something right. absurd. Well, and maybe we'll, we'll we might jump back yeah. and forth between some of the good exposition yeah. and the bad exposition. But do we want to? We've been saying that we early on we said it's bad in some ways. So what are some of the bad ways? Okay. Uh, well, some of the bad ways are just first off, just that very forced. We're gonna go see your mother in Chicago, as if you know. <laughs> Right. Whenever, anytime someone just says something randomly that, like, obviously the other character would know this sort of thing. He's like, yeah, or what was it? It wasn't even necessarily bad, but you could tell it just it just kind of stuck out. What was that? I was watching. Oh, it was. Uh, I was watching Planes today, the movie with my kids because okay. my, I was off this morning. The the cars um, the cars spin off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the one time, like, he just says, "I need to get above the clouds." And like, yes, it's already been implied, but. He says it because it's, you know, to make sure you understand what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, it's interesting. Gut reaction, I think, for writers, why it's bad, I think, is because the gut reaction is to just, it takes effort normally for people to show it instead of tell it. It's either just to say, I feel sad. Mm. Um, you know, he felt really sad because his dog died. Right. As opposed to taking half a page longer and showing him moping around the house. Mm-hmm. And the empty dog bed and stuff like that. In some ways, you can say more about how sad he was by not saying I was sad. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's very intellectual. It's very cognitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's another reason it's bad. Because in many ways, and again, end of a mystery, 
is cognitive yeah, in many ways. That's true. Yeah. But when you ex ex exposition explain. Uh, yeah. Uh things that are that are, are more emotional, mm-hmm. it lessens the story. Mm-hmm. In some in connotations I think they call that telegraphing. Yeah. I think it might be more of an acting thing though. But that the idea in that you're just you know, you're just kind of getting out the information as opposed to emoting or letting it flow from you as opposed to just blanket. Here is the message. Kind well, of. It's, it's interesting, you know, when film students, you know, we got to watch all your, you know, the films that you went when you were in L.A., you know, they force you not to have any words. Oh, yeah. Which basically force you not to do exposition in a mm-hmm. easy way in any case. Yeah. It was a very interesting exercise that they had all the students in that program do. Part of what their reasoning was ha- not having to worry about sound. That's just one less element for you to make it a little easier, theoretically. But it was also interesting in terms of, yeah, you have to think visually in your storytelling mm-hmm. and you know you have to, you have to say a lot and sometimes people get around this by you could do voiceovers yeah <laughs> oh, good. i was gonna but ask that still. you've mentioned before in the podcast that voiceovers are generally bad yeah again it's it can be kind of a, a cheap way around that that trick especially in terms of like i think we talked about the narrator how a yeah. narrator can be a very dangerous tool to if you're relying too much on your narrator to tell a story then you're not relying you're not you don't have enough uh faith in your own visuals. And actually, Dark City is is a movie, I, I showed you this, yeah. uh, sci-fi movie, and in the original cut, the, the studio made them uh, include a voiceover, basically, that kind of explains some of the mysteries that wouldn't have otherwise have been explained. Like, there is an exposition scene where they explain to the okay. main character about the nature of the city and, and so forth, but or in the original cut. I think Blade Runner is sort of like this too, where the studio made them do more narration at first because they were afraid that the audience wouldn't be able to follow. Studios seem to always worry that the audience is too dumb. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. But that reminds... um, We're talking Lost. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Dan Lindelof always says that... He always points to the architect scene from Matrix. Oh. uh uh, Reloaded? I think so, yeah. That's the one yeah. with all the screens, right? Yeah. yeah. It's basically just being the death of the story. You know, there's this massive exposition to explain all your mysteries. You know, and I think that's the, at least for him, the case study of not doing it well. And and Lost almost never does exposition of any type. <laughs> I mean... We, no, only the very most basic. Our our uh, our team was crashing here on this island. We well, and even even that, like, you go see the hi- weekly hijack, like, they'll do a little bit, like, in the second, third episodes, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. But even after... Once you get into a couple more episodes, they even stop doing that sort of thing, uh-huh. I think, from my memory. Mm-hmm. And, like, the pilot, I mean... They don't explain anything. I mean, and there's still even... There's like 12 people running around in a plane crash and no one's explaining or asking, you know, just... That's true. It's all like just very in the moment. Gotta gotta react to this. Gotta react to this. And it kind of set the tone for that. I mean, that show is on the far side of... Yeah. I remember someone commenting, um, I think in season five when they go to the lamppost and Miss Hawking's talking about how it works. Uh And someone mentioned that for the first time, someone kind of just explained how things worked and... It was horrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what they, what they were they implied that one of the few times Lost did exposition, you could sense that the tension and the drama that Lost generally had it stopped. It dropped. It, yeah, yeah, because it's because they had kept this idea of you never ask, you just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Well, which is not to say that I think well that was Lost. Lost yeah, that, no, Lost that's on the far in, far end. Yeah, yeah, Lost thrived in that sort of thing. And it's not to say that like all stories. I wouldn't say that all stories have to always avoid 
explaining oh, no, some no, things. Because no. like I said, Dark City, and eventually in the director's cut of that movie, he did remove the opening voiceover narration and, and, and had the explanation for it when it was supposed to happen. Yeah. And at that point... It's it's a perfect timing for it too because not only does it explain some of the things you saw before, but it makes what follows afterward not feel like you, you would you would lose your audience if you hadn't explained yeah. by that point why some of this weird stuff was happening. Well, and, and there's a lot of danger, you know, if you're if you're very antsy about exposition, there's a lot of danger that you you just can't your audience won't follow. Yeah, I mean, you could. There's a lot of deaf things you can do if you know what you're doing, but like you know, you get to the end of 2001 and you're like. What the heck was that? And, you know, in some ways, the lack of exposition is one of the markers between what people call artsy and not. Yeah. You know, and and then people claim people that explain things more directly, bad writing or bad filming, when it might just be they're not concerned about, they're concerned about different things. Yeah. In some ways. No, that's, yeah, I think that's probably Um, true. Before I forget, I I was reading Dubliners. I haven't finished it. Lots of short stories by James Joyce. And I I was going to bring it in. I forgot tonight. I mean, there's one chapter, and I mean, he's he's a, considered one of the greatest authors of the 20th century, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the first first page and a half is basically like, so and so was a you know had been married, and then her her and her, to a butcher, and then he died because of this 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 thing, and then she bought. And basically, it's all exposition. But I think it largely depends what's the use of it. I mean, that's all there so that when they start the story, you have all this background. And it's, and it's told very well. Sure. Even though it's being told to you, it's building a sense of emotion, a sense of understanding, as opposed to, you know, just, we'll insert this here just so I don't have to deal with it. Even though you need to know the plot, but it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Sure. Speaking of exposition at the beginning of stories like that, uh, let's talk about Tolkien. Okay. Because <laughs> I've, I've been rereading Fellowship of the Ring recently. First time I've been trying to read through the whole thing. Because I, I read it, you know, first in high school, and then I picked it up piecemeal here and there sometime later just when I wanted to reread a passage or something. First time I think I've really sat down to try to read the whole book again, the whole Lord of the Rings, uh, since high school. So it's been really exciting. But <laughs> first off, concerning Hobbits, the, <laughs> the, the, one of the prologues, there is so much more information in there that, that the, the first-time reader doesn't really need. Yeah. I mean, some of it, obviously, yeah, that it, it's, it's good and helpful talking about Hobbits' habits and stuff like that. Yeah. But then he also gets into like all kinds of stuff about Hobbit culture and history that's really not that important <laughs> to the book. So, I mean, that's Tolkien kind of getting carried away with himself. Yeah. But then... You also have some very important exposition chapters during the book, and you have the uh, when Gandalf basically tells Frodo the entire history of the Ring, yeah. which that's a big exposition chapter. But it's, I think, gr- it's fun to read too, but it's it's a phenomenal world building chapter, yeah. and it's it's funny the second time reading because I remember first time reading is like wow, there's a lot of information taken. Second time reading is like. I already know all this stuff because yeah. I've you know I've I've been so invested in Lord of the Rings you know for, for so yeah. long since then. But that and um, the Council of Rivendell, um, no, Council of Elrond, excuse yeah. me. Uh, shame, shame on me. Uh, <laughs> the Council of Elrond is also another big exposition scene, but that one's quite interesting in that a lot of different people are bringing different things and different things to the table. And so yeah, it's, it, it's working out of all their personalities and all this. Yeah, it's working know. out the personalities in addition to, okay, what else has been going on in the rest of the world that's related to all this? Well, and I think that's where I come down to exposition is that I. I I did know I tend not to be quite against it as some people because I think there's a lot of ways it can be used well and you need you know I think the modern sensibility is to 
is to uh, explain as little as possible. Uh-huh. But directness is a different sort of storytelling. Not a bad storytelling. Mm. I mean, obviously Tolkien didn't lessen the tension or the stakes by doing exposition. He raised it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty evident from even from after the Shadow of the Past, I think it's chapter two in The Hobbit. After you that chapter, you're like, whoa, this is going to be a way different story than The Hobbit was. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think sometimes it's just... You know, this is what act one and movies are largely are so many times, you know. That's true. And sometimes they try to show it to you instead of just tell you. But it's just, I, th- I think it'd be used in order to make things more interesting, more mm. tension-filled, more intriguing, more colorful. Yep. You laid oh. the groundwork for for the logical consistency, consistency of everything that follows. Now, again, for fantasy novels and science fiction novels, sometimes I think people like, like Concerning Hobbits, authors mm. who love their world building and, and readers who just want to read a story... Yeah. The exposition can can butt heads with, right. with the it could be forward a, momentum. Yeah, it could be a little bit of a barrier. And again, there might be a place for yeah. doing that, well, and, but it might not be considered dramatic in the modern sensibility. That's true. It really And it really depends on your taste of the readers, because like, some fantasy readers love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Last thing. Okay. Well, unless you have something else. But it was very interesting. Then some exposition... Must have made sense at one point and then doesn't anymore. When I watched Psycho recently, okay, the last like tw- ten minutes, he's explaining the psychology of the, the psychologist comes and kind of explains to the police officers Norman Bates' condition. Okay, and ha- nowadays you're just like he was crazy. He was, he was crazy. <laughs> he took his mom. I mean, this sort of unhinged mentality is something that we see a lot in TV shows and movies and stuff. But back then, it was probably very startling and very unique. Uh-huh. But it. it it seems rather a rather flat ending nowadays. Mm-hmm. You feel like, okay, we got the interesting part, and now you're just kind of talking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I do wonder if the writers, the creators, kind of shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to exposition. If they become so self-conscious of it, because like a lot of cop shows nowadays or detective shows, some people admittedly aren't watching those shows for the mystery. Like yeah. some co- some detective shows are to a point where people are wa- watching it for the characters, whether it's Psych or Castle, where yeah. you just want to see the goofy characters, or even some of your CBS shows um, are kind of like this. I mean, that's that's why I've watched NCIS before, is more because it's fun to see what these people are doing, and then you get a little mystery thrown into it. But then whenever, like, a lot of times of these shows, especially when they talk with the tech people, they're like, give it to me in English. And <laughs> it's like, okay, so obviously... If the characters don't really care about the explanations for why these, you know, how point A goes to point B, it's very easy for me personally to like just tune out of the explanation of how you figure these things out. And so when when the on-screen character doesn't care about it, why should I? You know. And, and sometimes I get that reminds me of an exposition. Sometimes you have the character emotional plot, and then you have the like the technical things that are happening, and they're not really related. So every once in a while, some guy will come and say. This gun will do this such a thing and do this such a thing and like okay whatever you know uh-huh. just so you can go to the next scene right <laughs> and then you know you really run in two shows you're running the I'm really talking about the characters up here but I have to make things realistic so I'll just throw some exposition mm-hmm. occasionally and it depends on this type of show and how well they do it. you know like yeah. Star Trek uh, techno babble is basically exposition to justify how they get to do what they're exactly. doing <laughs> I mean I'm, and Doctor Who does that sort of thing too but. Considering Star Trek is supposed to be the more, you know, realistic, scientific-y yeah. kind of show than Doctor Who is. It, it is interesting. Yeah. I think it does seem like in some ways we move so much to characters that the sort of exhibition for why things make sense 
Mm-hmm. You, you don't even, it's like, let's just get that done with. Yeah. Which I think is unfortunate. I mean, some, sometimes some of the best parts of a good mystery are the how the pieces connect together. Yeah. And I guess and it's hard, but I think probably the best sort of things when the, the character's journey and the technical exhibition all mesh together. Yeah, that's that's your I ideal. mean, that's that's your uh, your Frodo chapter. Yeah. You know. That's, yeah, because Frodo needs be, to know about all this stuff. Because if and, Gandalf was just talking about, yes, there's this guy, and he lost this ring, and da-da-da, and you might encounter it at some point, <laughs> you know, yeah. that would be a bad exposition. That's true, yeah. There's a there's an immediacy there. Yeah. It's like, why do I need to know about this right now? Yeah. So keep that in mind when you prepare for your exposition. See, then if you ha- if you find yourself in a place where you need to write that sort of scene, as long as your characters are into it, we will and, too. And, yeah, and it, yeah, and it keeps things moving. And yeah, I think it's and it keeps things a little shorter than if you have to show everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because there's also the flip side where, like, like you said, a well, creator won't won't explain anything, I, and that just frustrates. I, and I wonder, I wonder if book. You know, it seems like books are giant now. Like, there's no short books. Hmm. And I sometimes wonder if it's just. This need to show everything. That's a good question. A I random thought. I yeah. have no idea. Okay. I like big books, but <laughs> some of them. Worth, worth considering. With that, I think it's time to move on into soundtrack. Okay, Nick, I believe you have the first soundtrack. Yes, here. I had no real good inspiration in trying to pick something related to exposition, so I searched for all the title screen musics because I figured, you know, a lot of times that's where they, especially in older games, they'll play kind of the setup for the game. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, Dr. Wily's out again, sort of thing. Right. Um, I just picked a random, it was new, and I thought, hey, this is a, sh- a game most people have never heard of. I'll, I'll pick this music. Um, it's from a game, I think, is it a Commodore game, I think? Called yeah, Commodore 64. Supremacy? Mm-hmm. It's called uh, Pixel Storm in the Planetary System by a remix by Sir Nuts, I believe. <laughs> Sir Nuts. <laughs> um, and it's uh, kind of chip toony, dancey, dance sort of stuff. Anyways, I enjoyed it. Hope you do too.
Welcome back. All right. So hope you enjoyed that uh, pixel storm in your planetary system. <laughs> the 8-bit goodness. And for our next segment, we'll ask a very important question. What if? That's right. It is time for What If, one of our strangest segments. Really. <laughs> one of our most wonderful segments. Actually, Nick, you've got a better handle on what What okay. If will be about this time. Okay, so. here's the idea. We'll see how how well our brains are working tonight. <laughs> I have one or two ideas to start with. But I thought, we were talking about exposition, and we were talking about my initial definition was tell, don't show. So I thought we'd take some instances where a movie or a book would just tell us something and act, and figure out what if they had actually instead shown it. Or maybe take some sort of things when they had shown something and we said, what if they just expositioned that? <laughs> so, and I, the co- common one I thought, an easy one to start off with, mm-hmm. is the beginning of all the Star Wars movies, it would take a new hope in this case. Sure. You, get, you have the scrolling, scrolling screen, which uh-huh. is exposition. Like, here's That's what true. you need to know to go, you know, and it's very exciting, uh-huh. you know. Dun, 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 like, okay, dun, dun, cool. But, you know, just kind of telling what... Get you up to speed on what's going you know, on. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, they stole the Death Star plans. It's almost like a previously on segment, except all text. Exactly. And I mean, I think that was the idea first time, especially. Yeah, yeah. But especially with New Hope, it's like, they just stole the Death Star plans. I mean, there's a story there. No kidding. There's, a they... whole, there's at least, a, like, a 30-minute, like, heist scene. <laughs> um... <laughs> Or several video games or a comic book. And I'm, and I'm sure someone has done a comic book or something of it. I think there's point. a couple different versions of where the Death Star plans came from. Oh, is, that a, is that in Dark Forces? I think it's in Dark Forces. You're one of them is, right. Yeah. But that's the thing. I think they've like... Uh, they, uh, yeah, well, I think like the, the Death Star plans, it had to change like hands several times okay. by now. <laughs> Just in various like versions of <laughs> but, where they came well, okay, from. Imagine if Star Wars didn't start with the Star Destroyer going over the screen. Yeah. What if it started... In some base on some planet, and some guy being like, "I hope no one gets this Death Star plan." Oh, that's and, true. <laughs> well, you wouldn't know anything, you know. You're like, "There's just some guy sneaking around." I mean, you know, who who's, did Leia didn't steal it? No, no, someone well, else did. Well, in the Dark Forces thing, it's Kyle, it's Kyle Katarn. But yeah. I don't remember if he was the first one because, like, in other stories, I think Bothan spies had something to do with no, it. No, Bothan spies died getting the plans for the second Death Star. Well, they did, but I think I think in some I thought in some versions they also were involved in the first. Because um, well, related, you know, Return Jedi that maybe Bothans died to give us yeah. the information. <laughs> now, but what you know, what we didn't see that. Why couldn't we see many Bothans dying? Everyone wants to see Bothans dying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is, actually, in the Phineas and Ferb Star Wars special. This is actually how they did. Well, they they did do the scrolling title thing, but they did show Perry the Platypus is the one okay. who went and stole the. And they it's really funny because like they have this like imperial skyscraper. Th- it's like <laughs> it's literally like a skyscraper like smashed on top of a star destroyer, <laughs> and they have like all these office minions and like they they're dressed like an office like with a tie and stuff. Except they also have stormtrooper helmets. Nice. <laughs> so it's just about that. The opening thing is about him stealing yeah. the Death Star plans. But it'd be a different. Now, again, they didn't because it would have refocused the whole story. Right. You would be like, I want to know more about these spy well, the, the, guys. The nice Who's thing, this princess? The nice thing about a shared universe like Star Wars is that you'll see it at some point. <laughs> There's nothing they've ever said that they have not made a story out of. <laughs> it's true. But interesting. It would you know, be an interesting thing. Why do you change that? Yeah. Um, 
we we were also talking that I should throw in the previous examples, but you know, if we if we had got to it first, you know, in Narnia in Lion Witch Wardrobe, they kind of just say, "And this battle happened." That's true. They don't go partly because it's a kids' book, so the, you you don't yeah. really go into a whole lot of detail about the. And honestly, it would distra- it, it wouldn't be that necessary in the book. Not really, because yeah, because it's not really about that kind of stuff. I mean, it's. But then the movie people are like, you know what? Yeah. You can't just say, hey, there was this war happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's they find true. ways to make it all, you know, work with the characters. It isn't, yeah, because the Narnia, it's interesting. Narnia books are very much about the adventure. I mean, even the Lord of the Rings, they don't go into a whole lot of detail about the battle scenes, like the battle around the tomb of Balin, which is, in my re- re-read through of Fellowship, I've gotten to about Lothlorien. Um, but that fight around the tomb of Balin is just like, they knock the heads together with a couple orcs, and that's about it. In the movies, it has it's a big scene with like the whole troll and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and I guess movies now, especially want to show tons of action, even though it doesn't actually move the plot forward that much. Yeah, necessarily. See the Hobbit. <laughs> actually, don't no, see don't the see Hobbit. that. <laughs> but that's Rankin and Bass. Is that example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, the Hobbit movies are all about. Now, you know what? Yeah. The Hobbit movies might benefit from saying, "Hey, instead of showing this, we will just tell you what happened." <laughs> you know, yeah. Even if you want to get that random orc that hated Thor, and you know, you could just say, "Hey, there's this orc that's following me," as opposed to be like, "Hey, I will show you." No, is a perfect example. You know, Hobbit's like, "Yes, I'm Gandalf, and I gotta go run away for a while, and I'll come back in a bit." Yeah. And the Hobbit's like, "I will show you everything Gandalf does, eats, sleeps." And it becomes much less cool after you see it. Like some of that stuff, keeping it off screen, and that is actually makes it sound bigger and grander than. But it would have been it would have been a bad it. choice, for instance, to take our what if if you'd had the whole the first half of um, Return of the King mm-hmm. is from not Frodo and Sam's point of view, right? Uh, yeah, the first beginning of Return of the King is, is yeah, Pippin, and, Pippin and, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, you saw that. What if then? After that, they find the eagles dropped off Frodo and Sam, and they're like, "What happened?" And they're like, "Well, we were running on Mordor, and they have a chapter where they just kind of say what happened." Yeah, you don't, you you don't get any. <laughs> that would be horrible. That would, yeah, it would be terrible because it'd just be repeating the. Well, you know, we were it was really tiring, and we just walked. For I carried a really Frodo long for a ways. while. What happened to your finger? I'll get to that. <laughs> We got captured by orcs for a bit, and it was really kind of touch and go, but thankfully we were able to slip hey, away. Hey, 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 Sam, sing that song you sang. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be nearly as, as involving because you want to be there with the characters in that kind of moment. You don't want to just hear about it afterwards. So what's another good scene we could take that they, we see in a book or a movie that we could just say? Uh, Mission Impossible. Okay. Say, say, let's go back to, like, say, the first one. It's like he meets up with one of his old friends and he's like, well, we broke into the CIA headquarters and we got this disc. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? That happens in spy things sometimes where they're like, you know, they're like, here, we got this, you know, they're just... I had connections. Here's the disc. Yeah. Um, and maybe there actually was a whole story behind yeah. it. That they, they just trying to make themselves sound cool. It's like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think it really depends. You know, if you had done that, then obviously, hopefully the story's somewhere else. Yeah. Well, obviously, in the first mission possible, you need that scene. Yeah, that whole... That shows you that... The whole breaking cool. in, the whole, yeah. I mean, that's what Mission Impossible is. Mission Impossible is. Yeah, when Mission Impossible is good, that's what it's, <laughs> it's about. It's about the sneaking into places and disguises and all that good stuff. So, okay. Um, all right, so there's, what's another iconic scene that would be really 
go to, to, to move off screen. Yeah, to move off screen. Let's see. Indiana Jones. And what part? Oh, well, I mean, it's the ending's half off screen, anyways. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, of Raiders, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm thinking like his ex- exploration of the temple. I mean, yes, you sort of see his like abbreviated version when he's telling Marcus. There's like I had it in my hands. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. well, there's a whole lot more to it. Yeah, but you wouldn't have had to seen it. I suppose not. I mean, you could have just been like, you know, you could have just say, hey, I'm going to start, he's going to be a professor, and then, oh, wait, he's a, you know, he's a explorer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, I was, I, I almost had it, and we had this run in, and. Yeah. But. It would, it would have lost a lot. <laughs> it would have lost a lot, because you really, I mean, that opening, that whole opening sequence, the whole opening gambit, I guess you could say, I mean, that just gets you into the kind of what kind of movie this is going to be. And, I mean, and honestly, for an adventure movie, you want to be able to hook people in right away. Yeah. Yeah, adventure, adventure. You want to show as much as possible. Yeah. Usually, even even James Bond, which uh, my oh, spoiler alert, my uh, soundtrack is going to be James Bond themed. But you know, they don't start off usually with the briefing. They start off with some crazy action sequence. Then they go to the you know opening credits, the mm-hmm. crazy title sequence <laughs> of the crazy yes. singer, and then they go into the briefing, telling, okay, what's Bond's mission actually going to be about. So people know when you go to see James Bond, you want action. You yeah. want same thing with Indiana Jones. So you start off with something exciting, then you can go explain it or talk about something new. You know, because the opening gambit, you don't really need to know a whole lot about whatever is going on. You're just kind of thrown into it. It seems like all the choices we've picked so far, they actually chose the right version. When you find one when they <laughs> were well, like, no, that would have been a lot better if they would have shown that or not shown that. <laughs> um, hmm. Where we could where we could actually improve a movie? Maybe. By? I'm probably not. I mean, most good movies we're gonna think of you're not gonna necessarily improve. Hmm. We could pick bad movies. I was, say, I was trying to think how could Transformers be improved by showing not showing anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if it was like from the Transformers point of view would be helpful. That would be kinda actually it would be kind of interesting. Like maybe you'd like the humans in the movie are always like you know little specks on the screen, so you don't actually ever get a close up on any of the human co stars. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Like you don't have to hear all the backstory about Sam Wick Wiki or anything. And... <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. So say Lost, the smoke monster comes out first thing, and they say, "Oh, it's some it's some security system slash judge slash protector of the island." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be kind of yeah. You would lose people because yeah, loss is all about the mystery. Not that, but you were not ready for that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Most people didn't even realize when Locke was talking about backgammon how important that scene yeah. was going to wind up being in, over the course of the show. Okay, yeah, it's mystery, so that doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah. So trying to think of oh, actually- here. Here's an interesting. Actually, something that actually happened. I watched uh, Grace Point and Broadchurch. If you don't know. Broadchurch was the original one from Britain. It's this eight, well, in, in, in Britain it was eight episodes mystery. Mm-hmm. The American was Grace Point. It was 10 episodes. And I watched the American one first, thought it was good. Watched the British one and thought, the American one added all kinds of stuff you didn't need. Um, <laughs> you th- they just like expanded it. Expand, well, just. they tried to, they, they changed the ending a little bit and they tried to throw you off. And it, you realize the British was just, it was just cleaner. It, I mean, just uh-huh. better. But it was very interesting because. There's at least two instances where, in one version, they did exposition, the other version, they showed it. Oh, really? Yeah. Which was which? Um, switched, actually. The American well, showed and... Well, like, in one version, there's this scene where uh, this priest comes up on the kid who's uh, 
beating up his laptop. They both show that. In the American one, then the priest comes up and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? He's like, oh, it's none of your business. And then the priest's like, I'm going to tell someone. And the boy's like, if you tell them, I'll tell, uh, tell anyone, I'll tell them that you, you hit me. Hmm. In the British version, you always see is him come up on the boy or see him doing it. And then later on, when the detective visits the priest, he's like, here, here's a computer. Um, the boy said that he's, if I gave this to you, he'd say that I hit him. Huh. It was very interesting. And the thing is, though, the priest said the same thing in the American version, too. Oh, really? So, so he, he saw it, and then he saw, said it. Oh, interesting. And then, anyways, then the reveal of the mystery, which I won't say, uh-huh. but in both versions, we had kind of a, a back and forth uh, in the American version of some of the guys saying it, and we seeing some and saying and seeing some, you know, like flashbacks interspersed. In the British version, he came in there, he, he said, I did it, and then this, like, 10-minute flashback. Which oh. I think worked better, and which, which in the one? British version. Okay, it was. Anyways, it was very interesting. I actually saw them choosing different choices. Interesting for ba- for largely the same show. Uh huh. Because it was um, basically the same plot. Otherwise. Very similar, and there's lo- there's lots of little things like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's not quite a what if. That probably should have been story school. <laughs> but we're we're kind of going back and forth with them today. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, we we're trying to find something that we want to improve by doing it the other way. We need something. Probably it's going to be something that we didn't. So like Rotor. If it <laughs> Rotor. <laughs> Rotor. Less might. exposition would always be better than Rotor. <laughs> yeah. Or even. Or <laughs> no one knows what we're or, talking about. <laughs> Rotor is this crazy movie that Nick got from Rift Tracks. It's kind of a RoboCop Terminator ripoff, except with incomprehensible dialogue. The, the and, most ridiculous dialogue you've ever seen. <laughs> And other things. Heard. But in some cases, maybe Rotor would benefit by a little more exposition if they explained why he was had this weakness to car horns. That's true. Okay, so there's <laughs> or, robot. Or why but, they didn't use it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was they almost didn't want to explain anything because I don't think they really cared. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they had answers to some of this stuff. What's a good science fiction? Because science fiction shows tend to be the ones where you write on the board between showing and um hmm. You know, Doctor Who does this sometimes. You know, there are a lot of times they'd be like, Doctor I did, actually, yeah. you know, I went and did all this stuff with so so people, and we've never seen it, you know. That's true. But yeah. normally it's not, it's more of a throwaway thing. It's not a lot of times, yeah. They give you the idea that he's been off running and doing other adventures, yeah. when, you know, when the camera's not on him. What do you think about, we talked, I talked about Technobabble earlier. In some ways, this Technobabble becomes sort of a uh, crutch, a uh, exposition tool instead of actually showing you them doing something. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, because sometimes, like, you know, wave the, the sonic screwdriver around, and I don't know where I'm going with this. Because <laughs> I guess that is sort of a showing thing, but it's also at the same time, it's like, well, I just, you know, I just reverse re- the, the polarity of the nominally uh, quark of the neutron flow. Of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but that's more just explaining what the waving of the thing than. Yeah, I, I mean, that's true. it's not, you can't replace one with the other. Yeah, I guess not. <sighs> this is yeah. See, I, I the Star Wars was good. One. The Star Wars was a good was a good uh, starting point, but then I kind of I kind of lost it. Yeah. Um. Well, you know what? It's interesting. Okay, I just now thought of it. We were doing a podcast. Um, Lost Horizon. Okay. Okay. There's that long scene where the old man who's in charge kind of explains why he needs the new guy to take over. Okay. Uh huh. I don't know. I want. Is there a way you could have then like 
Again, back in the 30s, they wouldn't ever have done it. You know, they didn't do flashbacks and stuff like right. that. They did. They, it was a much more play-oriented. You know, mm-hmm. you can talk for a long period of time and no one cares. That's true. Especially, and actually, they they the talking was sort of a part of the novelty of the yeah. whole thing. Especially, you know, early talking. But there's a long like. There's been many generations, and they're all been corrupt. And I came here and helped them. I mean, mm-hmm. in a modern movie, they would show scenes of you know he might start talking, maybe. They might even have them over the over, voiceover, or yeah. voiceover. Uh-huh. but they really would probably add a lot more. That's an interesting scene. point. And I think older movies, you might be able to find these places where maybe it wouldn't be better, mm-hmm. but it was, certainly would be interesting. Yeah, no, that's a that's that's an interesting point. You could almost imagine him like beginning a tale, then going even a flashback and to just show him things going through that process. I'm not sure. It would be, I don't think it would. I'm not sure it would benefit the movie the way it was set up. No, in because style, then it would almost stylistically it was very con- because like show, doing the flashback, then it becomes almost a little bit more about the priest than about the survivors reacting to the utopia. Well, here's a here's another question. Okay, we just watched uh, over Christmas break. Um, is Wonderful Life, Frank Capra again. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, you start off with shot of the space and the angels talking about this. Uh, that's exposition, George Bailey guy. Yeah, that's true. Is there any reason for that to be in there? I guess. Only to set up the to set angel. Up the angel coming later. Probably. I guess, I guess you need to set up something or be. Except, what if you played it where there wasn't any setup and you had this this old guy you didn't know if he was an angel or not? That would be different. I mean, that yeah, that'd be a much more modern version version of, of it. I'm yeah. not sure it would be better, but it certainly would be. It, it'd different. be interesting. You might, I guess you'd you know, almost it, have to set up some sort of supernatural thing somehow earlier. Probably. I mean, there is the movie, um, the Bishop's Wife, where. Cary Grant is, is is similar to he's an angel, and it's kind of left uh, ambiguous for a long time whether he actually is an angel okay. or not. But in that movie, he's there f- through the whole thing. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's all kind of yeah, the whole coming in. I guess I guess the problem would be you'd have to have the perception that an angel could show up in this in the world of this movie. Yeah, that that you, you have to the, have that sort of expectation built in. But I guess early on, though, you got a couple where. The voiceover and like, why are we doing this? You know, it's almost mm. unnecessary in some ways. Yeah, parts of it. Anyway, that'd be interesting. That'd be that is an interesting one. I'm trying to think of old school stuff because that would be. It's almost easier to. F- okay, this is <laughs> this would not improve the movie, but it would make it a very not as interesting movie. The Princess Bride. Okay, the entire movie is the grandfather telling his grandson a story. <laughs> you don't ever actually see the <laughs> see the characters at all. <laughs> That'd it's, be horrible. The no, entire movie is exposition. Wait, well, here's here's the other thing. What if he didn't have the grandfather at all? I mean, that's large exposition and stops the thing and has like true love. You know, he explains mm-hmm. certain things. Certain things. I guess in that one, the the whole grandfather conceit is that kind of helps you buy into this like fairy, fairy tale, tale. I mean, sort of idea. A, and I guess that's something we've never really talked about when in our stories go exposition. In many ways, it can exposition can help dis figure out the the. There's certain stylistic things that require or are expected to have more of this exposition. You know, certain mm-hmm. fairy tales have this more of a talkiness as opposed to showiness. Mm, the storyteller. Yeah. You know, the, where you actually have a storyteller kind of verbally giving yeah. the thing. Now, that would be interesting. What if, what if the storyteller was without a storyteller? Uh, I'm sure it would still be interesting, but you would lose kind of the the whole aspect of the, the... The narration actually adds a lot to it. It grounds it in the... 
the origins of these of stories. Oral, or, yeah. Of oral storage. I mean, that's how stories used to be told before, you know, printing presses and stuff like and that. I, and I wonder in some way, and going back to stories of school now, but I wonder in some ways if our attitude towards exposition changes based on largely on our what we think stories should do. When stories were more grounded as an example that's or true. as a, yeah. then exposition was kind of, you know, Jesus, part, Jesus tearing, telling parables. Yeah. You know, when, that, when, in those cases, the storyteller was an important part of it. The narrator was a very important part of it. And the closer you get to stories being verisimilitude, that they're, they're not examples, they're not versions, but they're life, mm-hmm. yeah. the more you hate exposition. That's quite possible, yeah, because you'd off, yeah, uh, that's an interesting point, yeah, because in a lot of stories, you don't want the one guy that's just, you know, explaining the the viewpoint of the author, basically. Yeah, you yeah know? exactly. You want that to kind of come out, and you want to be able to pull out these things. The more realistic. Own. So we need, people. yeah. Okay, so la- last thing before, well, I don't know how much time we got, but is there a really realistic story that we could ruin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought of one. Or, or, or like Parents' Bride was a very fairy tale one that, you know, if you took out the exposition, becomes far less fairy tale in many ways. Yeah, you might think it, it's like it's trying to be more of a just a straight up fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it becomes it would become more fancy if you got rid of the, mm. the exposition. And I guess in some ways, I wonder if you would even lose a sense of satire from the Princess Bride because, like, it's very I don't know, maybe not. It depends on. It's hard. It'd be hard to know how you, it would be. It'd be the satire would come off different. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would. Because you have the sort of this, you know, conceit of we recognize this is just a, a fairy tale yeah. sort of thing, then you pl- you get to play with it a bit yeah. more. But then again, Disney plays, you know, with different movies have played with fairy tale, you know, Shrek. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not Disney, but there have been other movies I've played with the fairy tale without having a narrator. That's true. So, yeah. Well, there, there yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but the but without you know without the the grandfather, then Princess Bride isn't just isn't the Princess Bride yeah. movie. I mean that's just the way that movie it's just is. Not the same. Yeah, I guess. Have you seen Unbroken? Yes, yes. So there's a movie told very little. Ex- actually, um, it's that's a very experiential yes movie. I mean, I mean, and and you know that that the autobiography of that was originally told by you know this guy was telling the writer, his life, yeah, basically. But the way it's told nowadays, it's told very much, you're, you know, you're there with them. You and it's, yeah, brutal. It is very brutal. And apparently not near as brutal as the book is. Yeah, from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, the interesting thing about Unbroken, then, is that you're right. It is very experiential, except then there's a whole nother story, basically, that's only in the kind of the... The end credits? The end credits. That's true, yeah. That's, you like, but that's also a story I'd like to see. yeah. Half spoiler. So he goes. He's a, he's a POW and abused and everything. Mm-hmm. And basically, after he gets back, he gets converted and then forgives all his captors. I mean, that's a whole movie in itself. It is. But all we get is like three lines. And, and but it's, and so it's exposition. It, yeah. Yeah, it's exposition. And yeah, it's really intriguing. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a very introduced exposition because you know it wants to bring. The problem with the movie is you couldn't put it in the movie because. It, it's it's almost, a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. The survive. Yeah, it is a whole different thing. I know some Christians were a little disappointed because the the most Christian part of it is in some ways in the the after part. But you need that a mini series or a, or like a four hour movie. I mean, would yeah, it would have been. You had to restructure everything. It's a completely different arc in a sense. I mean, yeah. obviously, it ties directly into it's what like happened the to him. Yeah, basically, or the. 
Well, I don't know. I guess maybe even that, though, depends on your perspective on things. Because in Tolkien's perspective, part of the whole, because uh, I did one of my important papers in college was about coming of age and fantasy. Okay. And I read a, one of the articles I read about it talked about how Tolkien's perspective of coming of age in fantasy was that the hero comes home and then how does he deal with like the things afterwards? And that's where you get the scouring of the Shire. Yeah. So I guess in one perspective, you could say even that in Unbroken, the what happens afterward is just as important as what happens during the trials. Yeah. Which, I mean, you do get that information in just giving it as an exposition. But I guess I, I do think, like we said earlier, there is something, um, there is a degree of this that depends on the age, the, the you know, the taste of the current culture, um, and probably also even a bit on the, the media involved. I mean, yeah. because in the medium like a book, you can have these two different sections. Yeah. And yeah. a movie has, a movie typically has to be about, you know, depending on what type and, of movie, but it's usually about one thing. And I think, anything exposition is much harder to pull off well in a movie yeah. in many ways. Right. And you can't get away, again, because you don't want to rely too much on a narrator and a, and a visual medium yeah. like that. That's where... Storyteller is a great in oral tradition, obviously, but not so much in a visual one. Yeah, yeah, we went way into story school, and this one definitely <laughs> <laughs> kind of melded the two. Maybe we should have done our example, our our what if first this time. <laughs> uh, I, no, that would have been weird. Yeah, I don't know if that would have worked. What if we had done? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we need more book examples next time. The problem is it's so hard to pull out. That's true. Books yeah. that we've that everyone's read well. Yeah, yeah, and I. I you know, like, for instance, Les Mis might have been much shorter if you were to just uh, summarize things. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so much easier to get uh, a, a, repertoire of, a repertoire of movies or TV shows because yeah. you can get through them a lot faster than, at least personally me. I love to have read more books, yeah, <laughs> but it takes me a lot longer, So, especially when I go back and reread Lord of the Rings. Which takes a while. Which takes a while. You can't read Tolkien fast. Or I Brandon. Know, I don't know if there's any way to t- read it fast. Yeah, and even I, I'm not like, for me, it's, it's usually just like on a Sunday, you yeah. know, on a weekend. Yeah, that's where I get my mind. Some evenings and... Yep. Yeah. All right. You're Brandon Sanderson. I'm halfway through it. Yeah. You're yep. reading another. What's, what's the sequel, The Way of Kings? Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, Words of Radiance. I got it for my birthday and started it sometime in December. I'm, I'm 550 pages into it. Halfway. That's halfway. <laughs> it's good stuff. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I will not probably not be joining you. <laughs> Get in at ground level. Don't start when there's like 10 books. <laughs> All right. Uh, all, right. Well, all right. Sounds good. I guess we better wrap up. All right. So. so Let's contact info. Contact info. You can always listen to us on our website, derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. You can listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And then we're also on YouTube. Yes. we. I fell behind. I got up to about 40 episodes on okay. YouTube before Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. And then f- things fell Well, apart. much of I, us is on YouTube. Yes. A lot of us are, are on YouTube. But I am working to get more of it on. Um, and of, of course, also don't forget about our new experience, the weekly hijack, which will be on iTunes and Stitcher soon. If it's not been submitted, by the time yeah. By the time you get this, it hopefully, hopefully will be. Yeah. And then also that's that blog spot or derail trains of spot. Derail trains of thought dot blogspot dot com. On the sidebar, there's a little button, button and there's a whole hijack. player. But we're not gonna. Yeah, we're it, like I said, there's we're, not write ups or anything. It's just quick and dirty. Yep. Yep. So and like I said. If you're not into a Lost Rewatch, maybe stay tuned. In March, we'll be getting to Once Upon a Time. And eventually, we'll probably some Doctor Who. Whenever yeah, it whenever, up. whenever a new season. I have no idea when the next season begins. Probably like two years or something. <laughs> Could be. All right. All right. Better okay. uh, go ahead and introduce my uh, 
soundtrack here. Nice soundtrack today. Like I said, I decided to go with something from Bond because, you know, that debriefing, that's always kind of where you get the exposition download for who the bad guy is and what Bond's mission is going to be. So I went with something from the classic game GoldenEye 007. I just always called it GoldenEye, but that's what they call it in OC remakes, okay, GoldenEye yeah. 007. But this is called Controlled Jazz, and it sounds one of the most Bondy songs that is on there. And this is done by Mustin and Scott Peebles, both awesome, awesome yes. jazz remixers yes, on completely. OC Remix. So, Nick, do you have what you were going to buy here? I'm not buying anything here. <laughs> oh, really? You decided not to make any deals? Uh, no. No, he explained quite a bit about how this would, you know, the scandal would defeat my worst enemy and... You know, this hand would help me, you know, be better and such mm. things. But I know I had my eye on a, on a teacup over there, but he snatched it away before I could oh, really yeah. get close to it. So. Odd. Yeah, he's only we will impart without anything. Yeah, he's got some interesting priorities. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but thanks for, for listening, folks. We hope to see you next time. And until then, this has been Tim. This has been Nick. Adios. Bye. <laughs>